What is this place? It... <coughs> An abandoned Ikea? Didn't think there'd be that much dust. Am I alone here? James? Daniel? Daniel? You've been lost in an Ikea this whole time? It's been over two years. That's so strange. I've been I've been trying to keep casually critical running. I filmed an episode just by myself. I did a bad impression of you. It really didn't go anywhere and I didn't want to publish it, so... I thought you died. I am flattered that you tried to do an impersonation of me. You wouldn't be so flattered if you heard the impersonation. You know, since this is probably a mirror dimension of whatever actually happened, I guess we can just kind of move on, like nothing ever of consequence ever became of us, right? What? I think, I think the building's collapsing. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Ah! I never learned how to read. Well, listeners and friends, we are back. Casually Critical, after a sort of lengthy hiatus, uh, has returned to a podcast selling shop near you. Um, Daniel, can you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, why here, why now, why us? Yeah. Um, so we did the show initially. The whole point of the show was to stay in touch. Um, James and I have, for most of our friendship, we've lived in different states or at least several hours away. And this podcast was really a means to just stay connected and share our love of filmmaking with you guys. Then we ended up moving down to Texas together. We were roommates for a while, and the need for keeping up was suddenly a lot less because we were around each other all the time and criticizing films in person with one another. The amount of podcast episodes that could have been recorded during that time, insurmountable. I can't tell you how many things we watched and how many things we talked about. There were dozens and dozens of casually critical episodes that happened off the air. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great time. I think the other reason too is, um, the viewership, not that views were ever the biggest concern of ours, but it was really discouraging at times. Um, there was uh, a few episodes before the final episode of season two, we did a competition where the winner could guest star and, and feature in our casual correspondence segment. And none of you submitted anything. No one submitted any entries of any kind. And that was kind of the biggest indicator to us that people were listening to us, but we didn't feel there was a lot of care. We didn't feel like we were really making an impact on people's lives through our recordings. And this was always just a thing between the two of us to begin with but it really didn't show any promise of being more than that. And then uh, a few days ago from this recording, uh, I flew in and uh, spent some time with James and just catching up with some old friends. And um, we, we kind of had a perspective shift. If you want to talk about that, James. Yeah, sure. We were just walking down the road uh, in my little hometown here. And uh, a, uh, a friend of ours who went to the same university as us uh, kind of just rolled up on his rollerblades, hair billowing in the wind. Uh, Joseph Landon, if you're listening to this, um, we have you completely to thank yeah. uh, for bringing this podcast back. Um, so give yourself a pat on the back. And the next time I see you, um, I'm going to give you a big hug uh, because you made us feel very appreciated. You were telling us about how 
Um, during your brief time at Walmart, or maybe it was lengthy, sounded lengthy because you were very desperate for um, some mode of entertainment or companionship, and you said that listening to our podcast uh, provided some of that needed entertainment and companionship during your your time at work, and uh, that made us feel really warm and fuzzy inside. And funny enough, the very next day we uh, we watched a movie and we recorded the review together. Yeah, and it was fun. And we're like, let's bring it back. Why not? We have to now. Oh, absolutely. Now some things are stripped away. Casual correspondence is going to be its own episodes for now. So uh, we might still ask you guys questions from time to time. But if you have any questions for us, or if you have any movie review suggestions then we are bringing back our social media uh at casually critical podcast on facebook and instagram you can find us there um but yeah it's good to be back and more importantly you guys really do have an impact on this show uh you might feel like all you're doing is listening but the stories um that you tell us and uh the impact that you've um that you've told us about it really does help keep us going and it really does help encourage us that what we're doing isn't just talking about movies, but making a difference. So from the bottom of our hearts, for all of you guys, for you, Joseph, thank you. And without further ado, let's roast the MCU. Warning, this narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six-figure filmmakers nor professional critics. They are casually critical. <laughs> Welcome to Casually Critical Season 3. This is a podcast show uh, starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. I'm your host, James Newton. And I'm Daniel Carpenter, your co-host. We're going to start out um, timid. We're not going to stir a lot of pots. We're not going to start any fires. We're just going to start by discussing the new Doctor Strange movie, and since we have a lot of catching up to do on the MCU, we'll work our way back and say the Marvel Cinematic Universe is turned into a hot mess. How about you, James? What do you think? Right. Um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's, you know, it's a pretty safe Marvel movie. So there's no real toes we can... Daniel, did what? you just say the Marvel Universe is dying? I did. And I think this movie is kind of what put the uh, final nail in the coffin for me, so to speak. But Daniel, we can't say that. Like, I mean, I totally agree, but we can't say that on our debut episode of season three, can we? Eh, we'll just call this an alternate dimension version of our episode and call it a day. Oh, yeah. So if we get killed by angry fans, we can just start over in another universe. Yeah, I like that. Only this time, the world's made of bananas. Mm. Mm. Speaking of bananas, this movie drove me bananas. And... How so? I, I don't want to explain my puns, James. It defeats the purpose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, uh, we're going to start spoiler-free, and then towards the end, we'll do spoilers. No casual correspondence, not yet. So, let's get down to the brass tacks, as they say, or perhaps the multiversal tacks. Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. James, what did you think of the movie overall? This is an interesting film. 
I was pitched something by going on YouTube.com and watching a trailer for this film. And there was a certain expectation that came from that. I was like, oh, okay. Doctor Strange is going to do this like multiverse hopping journey and it's going to be super wacky and visually weird. And some things are going to be a little ridiculous and that's okay. But all in all, it's just going to be like a really like crazy, psycho, kind of goofy uh, adventure. Unfortunately, I sneezed during the movie and the, uh, the fresh layer of uh, shiny new paint fell off and uh, underneath was, lo and behold, the standard Marvel, Marvel formula. From my standpoint, I remember it was back around 2016. Captain America Civil War was just announced to be coming out and I was at my peak of Marvel fandom. Uh, truly, yes, Marvel fans, I'm, I was one of you. Uh, every single rumor, every single casting choice, every single new announcement, uh, if someone in Marvel sneezed, to use James' metaphor, I would have heard about it. And yet, and now, I find myself becoming a jaded, cynical old man. And uh, I always had my suspicions. I always thought, eh, Marvel hasn't really been the same since Endgame. That was just such a good ending. And it seems aimless, but I think they'll find their, their footing. And uh, what really did that for me was WandaVision, actually. Hmm. I'm a sucker for those smaller scale kind of mysteries of something's wrong, but we got to figure out what it is. Now we're not reviewing WandaVision. And so I'll, I'll try to refrain from spoilers here, but what started out as a promising brand new risk-taking side of Marvel proved once again to be the same old. And as series after series progressed, some better than others, I realized that what they were all lacking was never a reason for me to keep investing. There was never something where I went, man, I want to get back into this or I'm invested again. It's just people doing people stuff. And there's some there's some good movies like Spider-Man No Way Home was great. And if you haven't seen it, uh, it, it's fun. But as I was telling James earlier, I feel like that movie and all of these movies, frankly, are going to age pretty poorly. You need to know so much the the level of required reading for a marvel movie has now gone up with iron man even with guardians of the galaxy you didn't need to know anything you just needed to sit down and watch it but now we've got disney plus shows we've got netflix shows we've got shows and movies that weren't even tied to the mcu that now are we've got characters people places references uh the mid credit scenes are now to promote the latest niche corner of the MCU, not to really get us hyped for what's coming, but to get us online to research what the heck it was we just saw. To go on along with that thread, um, I have a confession to make. I did all the required reading. I did all the homework required Oh wow! in order to do the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness test. And guess what? I still didn't understand a lick of it. Mm. And not in like a oh, this is crazy nonsense and none of it makes sense and none of it matters because it's crazy multiverse. There were just genuinely, there were too many parts in the movie that I just, I didn't understand. And maybe it's because I just didn't care to or because something was falling for, uh, falling short in the script. What do you think about that, Daniel? I think this movie does a lot of things that are, hmm, I think it's a generous word, but ambitious. Um, there's some interesting visuals that aren't really, uh, that are different and better than most Marvel movies. The visuals are not only more cohesive, but less 
draining to look at. It's not the standard teals and oranges that you come to expect. There's a pretty interesting color palette through some of the scenes. Um, there are some scenes of multiverse hopping where you can tell that some people got a little really fun with some of the ideas of what some dimensions could be, but yeah. we don't really spend a lot of time exploring the possibilities of the multiverse. We don't even spend time exploring the possibilities of this story. We spend time mulling over the best and the worst that the MCU has to offer. And I was telling James this, and James, it sounds like you don't quite agree with me, but this movie was very whelming for me. It is an incredibly mediocre Marvel movie. And the reason why we spent some time talking about, and we will continue to talk about the MCU as a whole, is this is really the pinnacle of, at least for me, the beginning of the end of my love affair with Marvel. It was fun. We had some good times. The MCU walked in with a beautiful dress on, and uh, I was like, man, Iron Man is great. And there were some slip-ups, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger was okay, but you gave him props for trying. But then the Avengers came out. The MCU promised something. I said, uh. don't disappoint me. And it didn't. And then they just continued. There were still some difficulties. Iron Man 2, Avengers, Age of Ultron. But then Infinity War, Endgame, Spider-Man Homecoming. All these movies that were at least above average and sometimes quite spectacular. Only to come back to the bottom and make me realize, man... I've had my fun, we've had some good laughs, but really, I, I really do truly feel like this is the end. And I think Multiverse of Madness has a lot to point out that um, really goes to show what's wrong with Marvel, or at least what's what Marvel's been doing for a while that they really could have done better on. And I've seen Marvel do absurd before. They've handled absurd and weird very well. I really like the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I don't think anyone disagrees with me on that. No. Thor Ragnarok was great. Don't know many people that dislike Thor Ragnarok. No. Both of those movies, lots of absurdity, lots of leaning into the weird. But I think the challenge that Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness has is it tries to be too many things at the same time. Um, it's trying to hold together this standard Marvel structure while also trying to follow and continue Stephen Strange's story arc, which... I don't really know what that is anymore, and it seems to me like Marvel doesn't know what to do with him at this point either. He's kind of peaked, um, and he's past that, and now they're just kind of trying to dig up old bones and, you know, take a look at this, take a look at this old thing from the first movie. Yeah. This stuff that happened in a movie that came out in 2014, 15? Uh, I think it's 2016, actually. Okay, so it came out right before um, Infinity War, then. You were getting there. Yeah. Stuff that I don't remember. Stuff that, um, me as a person who's been trying to keep up with the MCU, I was still left a little, a little confused, a little staggered. And I, like I said, I did all the required reading and I still found myself underwhelmed by the quality of this film. Disappointed. Um, I felt like I'd seen the same movie before. Just not... Better presented than this one, I guess. Now, I know that the production of this film, there there were some difficulties. Obviously, the big one being the pandemic that everyone knows about at this point. This was uh, one of Sam Raimi's first films he's directed in a long time. Uh, he did Oz the Great and Powerful. And then he just stopped for about nine years 
and then started this, uh, did this movie. Uh, he loves Spider-Man, but he also likes Doctor Strange and really wanted to make a film that fans loved, which actually kind of makes me hurt for him, to be honest with you. Yeah. The fact that he was kicked around that much. Um, also, another trivia fact I found is uh, it said that due to the chaos of the production process, Sam Raimi and the screenwriters essentially figured out the movie during filming and then conceptualized the ending about halfway through the shoot. Wow. I want... Now, it's easy to get on board and say, oh, the, mo the movie is crap then. I want to be clear. The ending did not feel that bad. Like, there were some things in the beginning and middle of the movie that felt like they were headed there. So it could have been worse. That being said, it really does make me feel like Marvel is less of a studio, more of a process. Doctor Strange, multiverse stuff. Let's just put it through the machine and you know, turn something out on the other end that's palatable for most audiences and uh, can get us a lot of international dollar bills, so to speak. Yeah. And they threw in a lot of things that were seemingly unnecessary. Uh, I I leaned over and talked to you during the movie earlier today, and yeah. we were like, why is there a Minotaur? Yeah. Love Minotaurs. Love them to death. You ever seen the Narnia movies? Love Minotaurs in those. It's oh, a yeah. good time. Right. Minotaurs, they're good boys. But they, there's just one Minotaur in this movie, and they don't explain why. And I just couldn't help but think, with my cynicism towards Marvel, mm. you know, normally I'd be like, oh, look, it's a cow guy. But for me, it was just like, oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of the first thing, one of the first things you see in the trailer. And uh, this was good trailer fodder, I guess, you know. Yeah. It, it feels otherworldly. You have this, um, this Eastern... Um, kind of architecture in the foreground, smoke rolling over it, and then you see the back of the head of a minotaur. I just remember that shot from the trailer, and I now remember seeing it in the movie. Unfortunately, it didn't really have any significance at all. Right. And, and we'll get more into that specific scene and scenes like it in our spoiler review, but to that point, for you, it was the minotaur. For me, there were several aspects, including the music. Uh, Marvel's m music has been uh, a point of many critics for a while now. Uh, there's an excellent YouTube video essay called The Marvel Symphonic Universe. Um, but there really isn't a lot of cohesion. Yeah. The most cohesive music theme in Marvel is the Avengers theme. And even that was kind of manipulated and attempted to be changed by Danny Elfman, who also composed this movie back in Avengers Age of Ultron. Hmm. He modified it, tried changing the theme, didn't quite work. Doctor Strange has an amazing theme by Michael Giacchino, who's an incredible film composer, did a great score for the Batman. Uh, and Danny Elfman, or maybe a Marvel exec, or I don't know who makes these calls, but they're like, yeah, Doctor Strange has a great theme with dedicated instruments. Let's just throw that aside. Iron Man has over three different themes, one for every single movie he's in. Captain America has his own distinct theme, that changes for every single movie that he's in. There's no cohesion. Nothing really sticks. There's even some stuff, as we'll touch on later in our spoiler review, that was built up in the first Doctor Strange movie that is either never pays off or is shrugged aside in this one. It's true. What's your reward for caring about this specific world? What's your reward for caring about these specific characters? Well, whatever serves Marvel. And that is the 
I think the thesis of the multiverse in general, not just multiverse of madness, but Marvel saying, hey, you're a part of it. You're a part of it. All these other obscure heroes, we're bringing them all together um, in our upcoming new phase. Give me one reason to care. Yeah. Um, there's no reason. We are spread so thin at this point with the MCU. There's so many little pockets of the world that we're supposed to care about that have hardly been given any time to develop because they're leaning so hard on the Marvel crutch and saying, oh, this origin story, doesn't it feel just like Iron Man's origin story? Oh, this sequel, oh, doesn't it feel just like that other time those other people teamed up together? Oh, these two, two heroes fighting each other, doesn't that feel a lot like that other time those other heroes fought together? Right. They're, they're working through their secondhand and thirdhand emotional currency uh, with their audience and saying, here's what we've got. A lot of the enjoyment is going to ride on your either comic book knowledge or your nostalgia for the previous films. And I don't really have either of those. Um, and I'm not trying to speak down to those that do. I just, I'm not as emotionally attached and I never really have been. I was the most in the peak of, of the previous phase of Marvel, which was um, in the Infinity Saga and with the ending in Endgame. Um, that's, that was where my interest was at its highest. And that's where it should have ended, you know, in the first place. But here we are, picking up small pieces and trying to build another giant out of these little tiny finite grains of stories. Now, for some of you listening, you might be feeling like we're coming on a little bit strong. And, and for some of you listening, you, you might have been and still are really devout MCU fans. For me, the reason why I'm speaking so strongly on, on this is what I'm seeing happen to Marvel is what has already happened to Disney and what I believe is also happening with Pixar. Disney's brand, and it's an effective brand, there's some really good marketing direction behind these, um, but in some cases it feels like the marketing is starting to run the movie. Yes. Let's take a risk. Okay. When's the last time Marvel took a risk? Well, I would say phase one from Iron Man all the way to the first Avengers was a risk. Um, there were some, but even then they played it safe. With Thor, we saw this with his movies. The first two movies were very dull. They were critically probably the lowest of any of the original heroes. And it wasn't until Taika Waititi came along with Thor Ragnarok and said, you know what? Let's embrace the weirdness of Thor. Now you might say, okay, so that's a risk though. Marvel endorsed a risk. Not really. The first Guardians of the Galaxy movie really paved the way for that quirky sci-fi brand that Marvel started to incorporate more of. And even then, that was from a director they took a chance on, James Gunn, who is very talented and has a really strong direction for the Guardians. But it was with a B-team of heroes. If that movie failed, it wouldn't affect Marvel's brand because it doesn't affect the original characters. Right. Didn't affect Iron Man, didn't affect Captain America, Thor... None of them were tied to the Guardians movie. So it was a movie that Marvel could take a chance on. When that chance paid off, they started embracing it. More quips, more color, more uh, wackiness. Everything is rainbow. Everything is 80s reminiscent. Everything is nostalgia-based. Yes. And we've already seen Disney start to do that with their, you know, their new Star Wars trilogy and properties and stuff like that. With Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, there are some elements that just feel half-baked this is this was when it was first announced 
advertised as Marvel's first horror movie, and there was some divisiveness on that. Sam, Sam Raimi is a very talented filmmaker, and I do think some visual elements really show in this movie, but they never really go all the way with it. And there are some moments where Sam Raimi can direct really well, but he cannot out-direct the story, which we'll get more into later on. Yeah. Um, I think my closing remarks before I ask you kind of what your opinion is and why we're feeling this way about the MCU, my final point is I'm a huge advocate for media literacy. And I'm not talking about reading books or watching a movie. Anyone can really do both of those things if they work at it. Um, I'm talking about the art of critiquing movies and more importantly, being critical of what you watch and how it has an effect on you. I think if you don't mind me getting on my little soapbox, I think here we go. I think a combination of social media and overindulgence in binging TV, YouTube, and large scale movie franchises like Marvel that are basically the equivalent of large scale TV shows we've become so inundated with media to the point where we take it for granted. We just kind of watch it, let it pass us by. We don't think critically about it. And there's a lot of people, even some critics I respect that really love the multiverse of madness. They say, this is really well done. This is really good. And I would say it's about as well done as, uh, as a bunch of McDonald's food. Uh, it might taste good going down and it might provide you some comfort, but at the end of the day, it's not really going to challenge you in a lot of ways. And if you keep consuming that type of content, it's going to be bad for you. And I don't think a lot of people get that. So I saw the MCU blaze a trail. They've, they have innovated a lot. They've brought in the shared cinematic universe concept into the mainstream Hollywood media. They've taken a lot of creative risks. But now I feel it's become more calculated than it has creative. And that's why I feel very passionately about it. Yeah. How about you, James? I want to go over a couple couple highlights about this movie before I before I say my final thoughts. Okay. Um, there was there was a cool musical thing that I noticed when watching this movie, which is the multiverse theme, uh, which what I think was originally um, played in the Loki show, uh, made an appearance um, in huh. Multiverse of Madness, which I wouldn't have recognized until I took some time and thought about it and was like, where have I heard that song before? Um, and uh. It did air originally in the Loki series, uh, near the end of the series, um, which is another series that uh, I will controversially say was kind of forgettable and ended in a kind of forgettable way. Yeah. Um, but uh, another thing I want to I want to grant to this movie is is um, something you said about Sam Raimi. I think the visuals were cool. Some of the visual effects were very interesting. A lot of them already showcased in the trailer. Um, so nothing super new or super interesting, yeah. um, uh, outside of the trailer, um, was included in the movie. Um, but it's, uh, it makes magic look like, um, a lot of fun and it makes it look like something that you have to be highly intelligent and very strong to do. Um, they do, they've always done a good job of, of doing that. And especially with Dr. Strange, they added the different, um, kind of inception-y kind of motif of like the um, the rotation of the world and the, uh, the ongoing, um, like the repeating images in the, um, in the architecture and things. Um, that's always been a fun little visual flair. I was kind of hoping for more of that on a deeper level um, in this movie, but they definitely gave us some callbacks to the original mind-bending visuals of the original Doctor Strange. 
But uh, I really liked what you said, Daniel, about um, media consumption and how Marvel is just kind of something that just washes over you. You're just like, yeah, that was a Marvel thing. <laughs> I say in my medicated state, <gasps> good movie. Because there's just so much stuff rushing by us all the time. And so how can we blame anybody for really just saying, that was fun. When's the next one coming? Yeah. Um, and I want to I wanna add on to that and say, we should be looking at these movies as standalone films. And um, although Marvel has become the biggest television show ever made, as you were kind of alluding to, yeah. if we just extract this film and uh, just... Let it exist in a vacuum, a pocket dimension, perhaps, or a... Uh, See what you did there. Yeah, just trying to make a multiverse joke there. And uh, we just kind of take a look at it. The rules of the world don't make a whole lot of sense, and they don't do a very good job of explaining them. And uh, these characters are pretty flat, and wow, the writing is pretty terrible. Whenever we wipe away all of the nostalgia of not just Doctor Strange and his comic content, but also... Full House, and the Olsons, and Benedict Cumberbatch, and Sherlock, because all of those things are tied together because Marvel is deliberately picking actors that you like from other things. So it's all about the intertextuality. If we strip all that away, and just look at this as a standalone film, not attached to any pre other films that exist within its universe and outside of its universe, it doesn't make much sense. It's, it's not even like a wild ride where you're kind of being whipped around by a roller coaster and you don't know where it's going to go next just it just makes sense uh it it doesn't make sense in in the sense that uh this is a cohesive story that fits together um and uh is packaged uh, it has to be attached to other things yeah and it's going to be required reading for uh every movie to follow so all of you are going to have to watch it if you want to keep watching marvel movies that's true I was telling you, James, before we started recording, um, my thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home, which I think was a really good movie. But as I was watching it and later or afterwards, I remember something that Martin Scorsese was saying that was very controversial several years ago. He said that Marvel films aren't really cinema so much as they are theme park rides. And that was people, I don't want to get too much into that because that would be a whole episode on its own, but he's not really dismissing them as just they're not real cinema so much as the language that the MCU is using is very different and very, it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination when it comes to their stories or the content. Spider-Man No Way Home is a phenomenal film, but there is so much required reading you have to do. All these films that you have to watch to understand the characters and things that happen within that movie. I really do think that even in a few years and definitely within a few decades, in a few generations, no one's really going to watch it or at least remember it. And that's kind of sad to me. So uh, let's continue our old tradition, dust off that book. James, out of five stars, what would you rate the Multiverse of Madness? I'm going to give it a two out of five. I'll give it the same, actually. Ah, uh, this is true form for <laughs> casually critical we give it the same rating i think i believe last time it was within half a star of each other yes um but yeah two stars uh i view three stars as average it's not a one star movie it just doesn't do a lot super well 
and I don't think I'll be watching this movie again anytime soon. Yeah. All right. Let's head into our spoiler review. Want to join the conversation? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Casually Critical Podcast to get the inside scoop on future episodes. Feel free to message us on either platform to join in the casual correspondence or provide feedback on the show. Now it's time to dive into our spoiler review. So what was the deal with the cookie monster showing up? I didn't know that there was like, I didn't know PBS, like who owns and like distributes PBS properties? Because when Cookie Monster showed up and started going, oh, nom, nom, you know many things, Strange. You cookie, I can't quite eat. And then Doctor Strange bests him with his magics. It really threw me for a loop because like, I don't know, like I knew that the the uh, Muppets were owned by Disney, but I wasn't sure about that Sesame Street cousins. Your thoughts, Daniel? <laughs> if you feel confused listening to that, you're not alone. Um, if your response is, hey, Cookie Monster wasn't in the movie, you're in the right place. Uh, this is our spoiler review, so please get out and escape. Thank you. Now, obviously, um, you're probably wondering, listening in, why we didn't talk much about the plot in our spoiler-free review. Well, that's an easy one. That's because the plot that was advertised is not the plot that's in this movie. We have a twist villain, which is the Scarlet Witch. Nah. Um, she goes on this rampage, this killing spree, um, trying to kill... Well, basically trying to absorb America Chavez and get her powers so she can... Don't eat America. Be the world's best multiversal mommy. Yep. <laughs> and that's what she's portrayed as, really. This mommy. This mom. She's just trying as hard as she can to get what she wants. And no one seems to be willing to tell her that what she's doing is actually affecting other people. She seems convinced that she's... She seems convinced that she's not hurting anyone and what she's doing is harmless. And the human down to earth, though slightly dangerous character that she was portrayed as in WandaVision seems to be utterly tossed away and uh, now gives way to this dangerous, crazy horror movie witch that uh, has some sympathetic scenes, but not necessarily ones that I can really resonate with. I think for me, the issue is the MCU wants to have their cake and eat it too with Wanda Maximoff, which is they want a sympathetic villain that can easily be switched back to a hero, but they also want to make a genuinely horrifying villain. And uh, I want to try and avoid spoilers for WandaVision, but there is some intercontextuality with that show. So I'll, I'll keep it very vague and, and brief. Um, Wanda does some bad things in that show uh, that are really swept under the rug. Yep. In fact, they're not just swept under the rug. They're forgiven and completely ignored. I don't know why um, she does things that affect innocent people in that show. And in this movie, it's the same thing. Although they try and say, Oh, it's not, it's not Wanda. It's the dark hole. It's the bad book that mommy and daddy don't want you to read. She's read it and <laughs> she's evil now. Now her fingertips are black, which means <sighs> she bad. It represents her heart, which is also dark and shadow and yeah. evil. But hey, once we destroy the book, it'll just be like <laughs> nothing ever happened in Wanda's home. And she's the same strong girl that you liked back in WandaVision. And... I don't know about you, but like, whatever happened to the tragic hero or the tragic villain? Like, Star Wars, perfect example, right? Anakin Skywalker is this Jedi Knight with potential. 
And everyone sees like, wow, this guy can really change the world for good. He's to bring balance to the force. And he just falls so spoilers. much. Spoilers for uh for the original, <laughs> the, the prequel trilogy of Star Wars. And uh, eventually he becomes Darth Vader. And then he's Whoa. redeemed. But here's the thing. They don't sweep it under the rug. He was a terrible guy. But the argument was never, is he still a good guy? The argument is, but is he capable of having good inside of him still? Luke right. thinks there is. He goes on this journey and he redeems him. There's hard work to get to that point. With Wanda, let's not talk about WandaVision for a moment. Let's just talk about the movie. She kills several people, simply vanishing them out of existence. One person runs over and stabs the Darkhold, turns into ash. And the whole acting that this, this actress performs... The whole visual effects thing is is making us believe this is a painful thing she's experiencing. The very last human reaction from her before she's completely turned into ash is a tear. A tear comes out of her now melted eyeball. Yeah. As she turns into ash, into a Pompeii statuette. It's a throwback right there. <laughs> yeah. Guys, remember Pompeii? <laughs> remember sixth grade history class? Too soon. Too soon. Sorry. But you do all this. And then there's the Illuminati, whom she brutally kills off. <laughs> which... The Illuminati is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get to. Uh... But she does all these things, and then at the very end, it's like, oh, she's a hero again. Even her other dimensional self forgives her. She's like, they will be loved. And I'm like, okay, this random evil version of you just appeared and attacked you, and you're just like, yeah, it's okay. Now, you might argue, especially those of you that love this movie, you might say, I could, I could hear the argument being made that, well, it's because she didn't really know what she was doing. And you know what? We're, none of us are above, like, all of us are deserving of, of redemption. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think redemption is beautiful when it's done well. And when it doesn't thing, happen in five minutes. Right. The amount of redemption should be proportional to the amount of wrongdoing. And justice can still happen regardless of redemption. Darth Vader was redeemed at the end of Star Wars, but his punishment was he didn't live through to fully realize and undo what he's done. He's realized he did a bad thing, and the least he was able to do was kill the dark overlord of the entire galaxy. With this movie, Scarlet Witch says... Oh, gee, you know what? I realized I don't have to be a real mommy. I'll just go destroy my power. And it's like, okay, you built up the Darkhold as the thing that makes her evil, but then even though she's still under the magic of the Darkhold, she uses her own magic to destroy the Darkhold. Dark hold. What? I use the Darkhold to destroy the Darkhold. So it's Gone. Like, reduced to ashes. And there's... Atoms. That was the well, yeah. <laughs> reduced to but even Doctor Strange has a line afterwards where she's he's like, she did what was right or something like that. And I'm like, are we going to throw everything under the rug again? Like, how much can she do that she can get over? It's like, oh, no, she was in grief. She's fine. Like, it's it's okay. By the way, you mentioned Doctor Strange um, in that scene. Zombie Strange was by far my favorite character. Yeah. Um, he was he was um, he was very funny. Uh, I don't know if he was supposed to be, um, but uh, I really love Zombie Strange because he was having all these meaningful moments with America Chavez and with Wanda, and um, he was just like, my face is falling apart. I'm a zombie. You're supposed to take me seriously. You're really... Uh, Twists his neck around. You're really doing all these impressions today. 
Oh, thanks. I'm impressed. Thank you. Uh, this is now Casually Critical Characters Welcome, uh, where we just kind of freestyle, you know, do whatever our improv desires wish to do. I love it. It do. It be that way. It do. Speaking of things that weren't that way, though, um, I want to talk about the first Doctor Strange for a moment. This isn't really a spoiler. This is a post credit scene. Ugh. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try. Uh, but he plays Baron Mordo. He's the magician that kind of, uh, he's, he's mentioned in Multiverse of Madness. And this is actually a scene that is discussed in Multiverse of Madness. Uh, Baron Mordo is the uh, wizard that helped uh, accept Doctor Strange into Carmitage, where he learned how to practice the mystical arts. Um, he's seen as a good guy, and he helps Strange out. But towards the end, there is a post credit scene where there's a guy who's been shown to um, through the process of magic, he was paralyzed from the waist down, but now he can walk. And then Baron Mordo appears after, presumably after being upset that Doctor Strange violated space-time to restore and save their universe. And what he does is he takes that man's magic, permanently paralyzing him again, and says, there are too many sorcerers. Basically, his philosophy is magic has gone too far, we're playing God, and I'm the one that's going to stop it. So a really solid villain for the sequel. I mean, yeah. it's personal. Can't wait to see it. Oh, oh, it, it's it's mentioned briefly. Clearly, it's already happened because when Baron Mordo appears in, I think, Earth eight three eight, that other dimension, uh, Doctor Strange says, "Oh, like you know, he 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 was my friend, and then he turned evil." I'm like, okay, so the sequel already happened. He already. Doctor Strange knows that Baron Mordo is evil? It's the multiverse. It'll happen later, and it'll be in a different dimension. But it's this universe's Doctor Strange that points it out. Uh, it'll be a limited Disney original series called uh, Rigamortis, or whatever his name is, and it's going to be really cool because he's going to go dark. The thing is, this movie often exchanges heart for spectacle. Correct. It never really delivers. And honestly, James, the Illuminati that we're in nah. this... In 838, I'm not going to say that. It makes it sound like I care about the world building. In that dimension, that was my first, my well, not my first, my biggest red flag that I just didn't care. Something was off. And that was when they introduced, they reintroduced Black Bolt. They showed Captain Carter. And then... Wait, reintroduced? Yes. Uh, he was in the Inhumans show. Same actor. Uh, oh, the Inhuman I forgot show that, that show failed. came out. It, it utterly failed okay. at ABC, and Marvel kind of covered it up. Got this it. is their way of saying, no, we like him. We're bringing him back. It's like, cool. They bring back, they introduce Patrick Stewart again, more required reading. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Reed Richards, John Krasinski, which I'm not going to argue. I think Marvel has always made some solid casting choices. These actors know how to deliver. But the red flag for me was I saw all these people, and part of it was probably that I knew the rumors already, but I was like, Oh, that's cool. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know? This is supposed to be a big Avengers reveal moment where it's like, oh, so he's that guy. And this is kind of like setting us up for, you know, potentially a future Fantastic Four movie, right? With right. John Krasinski help, taking the helm. How excited are we for that? I don't. I, I don't know. Same. Probably going to show cameos from people we already know in marvel and yeah marvel's becoming a franchise They're what cameo is going to be in the fantastic four movie i bet it'll be even better than the cameo that teased the fantastic four movie <laughs> it's yeah it, it's rough it's rough um 
I also want to talk briefly about the fact that Reed Richards is done so dirty in this movie. Yeah. In the comics, and again, not much of a comic reader, but what I do know is he's a he's a brilliant mind, super smart. The Illuminati is actually a comic group, kind of like the Avengers, that operate more in the gray areas that include Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, all of like the smartest people, basically. But Reed Richards is portrayed as this genius. He is the dumbest character <laughs> in the Illuminati. Here's what he does. First off, when... I, I'm going to get to this because it's a huge rant point for me, but they, they <laughs> Doctor Strange says, hey, Scarlet Witch is coming and she is unstoppable. You need to do something. And they're like, yeah, oh, we can handle yeah. her. She's fine. We're not worried about her. It's you that we're worried about. And it's good because this is a twist for us. We're like, oh, Doctor Strange is the problem. But then Scarlet Witch just kills them all off like nothing. And what does Mr. Fantastic do? This brilliant, brilliant scientist. What does he do? He steps Moses in front over. of her and he says, hey, listen, don't take us off because that guy, Black Bolt, that guy I'm pointing at right here, this guy that's black and bold. He can go, like, he, can, he can kill he can, you. He can kill you with a single word. I'm like, great. You just told her. Your weakness. I'm like, James, stop right there. That guy over there is fireman. And he he's on fire and he will kill you with a single snap. And then you're like, okay. And then wait, you dose him with water. Wait, Daniel, I want to go into a hypothetical here. Okay. If Black Bolt didn't have sound powers, but he could still destroy you with a couple of words. Yes. What do you think he would say to her? Like, what's the roast? Overrated, like overrated, overrated, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... You're basic. And then she would have dissolved. I can't think of a more agonizing end. More <laughs> agonizing way to go than that. Um, and then the final thing Mr. Fantastic does, which is just the prime level of stupidity, is he just... When she kills Black Bolt in, might I add, a gruesome way, but not gruesome enough to warrant an R rating, because we can't have that. No, no. Uh, he just reaches out his hand. Like, what were you going to do with Wanda when you touched her? He's not super strong. He's just super flexible. So was he going to try and wrap his arms around her and maybe get some gross stuff where he puts his ear through her, his finger through her ear or something like that? And ah, the ultimate wet willy. But it's like you're doing it in front of her and then she just reaches out and touches him and he dies. And I'm like, you kind of deserved it. Yeah, he gets Play-Doh factoried. Like, <laughs> he becomes a spaghetti strainer. Yeah, exactly. Human spaghetti. So tragic. And um, Peggy Carter... I don't know. I, there's there. so much more. She's I there say. too. I, what do you have to say, James? I'm getting, I was I'm getting gonna, all fired up. I was just going to jump in uh, on this part because there is a funny thing that you brought up that I want to touch on. They build up Doctor Strange as being the greatest danger of the multiverse. Um, and so to me, that was set up for oh, well, Wanda is the primary villain for this movie, but there's going to be like a false ending where they defeat Wanda. And then something with Doctor Strange is going to happen where the multiverse breaks in some way because of another aspect of him or because of his own greed or his own intelligence. Something is going to happen to where he has to face himself um, kind of as a climax to his story arc in this in this film. And that doesn't happen at all. Maybe I just misread the situation. Um, we don't want Doctor Strange to be unlikable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we don't want our, our Marvel superheroes to be unlikable. So we're going to make one of them the main villain for a movie. And yeah. then suddenly they're going to be a hero again. I feel like it's Marvel listening to the critiques of people like, you have weak villains. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, how about a hero as a villain? Well, no, not really, because I actually want to 
hold on to her as a hero, but like a villain maybe for a bit. For it was all like two a hours. Misunderstand dark hold thing. Dark misunderhold sting thing. What was that, Kevin Feige? What? And um, she's she's bad, kind of. Not really. But hey, just little. give Mr. Feige some room. He's really phoning Sorry. it in for this film. Oh. Um, he's trying to kind of plan phase six. So <gasps> he's already way out there. He's working on Peter Parker's granddaughter, who's <gasps> going to be a really cool integral hero. And she's going to fall in love with Captain America's next door neighbor, who in an alternate reality gets the superhero serum. What? And he gets really big and strong. And they fall in love. Don't say it too loud or he'll hear you, the Feigster. Yeah. I don't want him to know that I know this. Okay. You know, it's actually funny. I, I read an article recently saying Kevin Feige and his team went on a retreat to plan the next 10 years of Marvel movies. God bless America. Well, America Chavez, but... God bless her. She was the <laughs> she was probably the best actor in the movie. That's true. Yeah. Um, I want to touch briefly on not just Wanda, but specifically her fight scenes. Um, there's two big sequences. Uh-huh. One's when she fights the Illuminati, yeah. which Captain Carter, I've seen cosplayers do better fighting choreography than, than she did. I'm just, I'm just saying very slow moving. They just didn't put any effort. They didn't do any justice to her at yeah. all. I, I think you and I touched on this. I just don't think Marvel knows how to handle female characters. They don't. They're very stoic. They're very, they have one expression. They're very much like, you should shut up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. Which is supposed to be a defiance, right? It's supposed right. to be a, a an active defiance of the portrayal of women in action movies, right? Right. But as a result, they just get pigeonholed into another equally boring place. Right. Don't you, you think? They're becoming the action movie male from the 80s and 90s. Right. Stoic, no emotion, just guns and punching, and it's boring. I mean, even, I don't know, even the Terminator, they realize that for him to, like in Terminator 2, the plot twist... Spoilers, I guess. I haven't seen Terminator 2, but oh. whatever. Go ahead. The plot twist is he actually goes from the villain in the first one to the hero. Right. Because of some time travel shenanigans. But that's to give him more of a heart. He's stoic, but he cares, and he does actions throughout that show. He he protects these people. He does things. You know? There's weaknesses to him. And that's the thing. As human beings, like, there's some things I'm great at, but, man, I also have shortcomings and failings, and I just don't think... Maybe there's a hesitation to embrace that, but it makes at least the female characters that have spearheaded most Marvel movies boring. Take Black Widow, for example. Before these female politics really played a part in it, uh, there were moments of weakness, even in Endgame. Her, she was crying with Steve Rogers about how rough life has been, and I'm like, okay, even my cold heart's feeling something for this, you know, <laughs> for this woman. Like, she has feelings towards these friends that she's lost and man okay that stinks her being vulnerable and less defiant less resilient less i'm strong all the time made her more approachable yeah and that's something that i think a lot of marvel movies recently just haven't balanced very well to zero back in on dr strange though right there's some madness do any of the male characters really are they very dimen- like dimensional in any way in this not movie? really no Wong is just kind of the chill sorcerer supreme who says all the things you expect him to say, like, you'll never get the dark hold, or I'll take you there. Just let them go. That's good. Or you sound like him. Good to see you, Stephen. You're back. Like this Uncle, is all Uncle Burning Fudge is our favorite. Do you know <laughs> That's my favorite line of Wong's. You know what this is? This isn't even a character. This is video game phrases you hear when you're playing a video game as Wong. This movie is very video gamey, isn't right? it? 
Come on, Strange. I've got you. We need You'll to strengthen the shield. We need to strengthen the shield around the, the, the secret... Fortify your mind. Yeah, fortify yeah. your mind. It's just like, well, alright. Um, I, I thought, truth be told, I thought Wong would hand Strange the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme since in every single way Strange has shown to be better than Wong. He saved the multiverse. He thought of a new solution other than killing America Chavez. He's saved the Earth constant amount of times. He's fought bigger threats than Wong has been able to fight. Doctor Strange went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Thanos. Like, there's... And he makes hard calls, you know? He it often... Seems, what, it seems like that would be an even more interesting plot for a Doctor Strange movie. Wong being a strong leader and good people person and Doctor Strange coming back from the blip being yeah. this super powerful guy, um, that would be a really interesting subplot for, for a Doctor Strange movie, don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And Doctor Strange would have to humble himself and realize, well, maybe I deal with the, you know, the multiverse kind of stuff, the interdimensional and the galactic threats, but you are a teacher, Wong, and you are a right, you have shepherd I of people. Don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Wong says that, look, if you want to be Sorcerer Supreme, you got to learn to deal with people, not just threats. Yeah. You know? See, we're already writing a way better Doctor Strange movie right now. <laughs> this sounds really good. The other thing, too, that was disappointing, I want to touch back on is this, the action sequences of Scarlet Witch. I want to touch on this very, very briefly, but it's important to me. There's no thought in these action sequences. No. And you might say, oh, no, 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 there is. Like, there's nuance. I'm like, no, there's not. There's twists. But think of the concept. Carmitage versus Scarlet Witch. What really plays out? Let's dumb it down. Let's strip away that beautiful shiny paint, as you said. Okay. Big witch come over to fortress, fortify by having everyone do big shield. Keep up big shield. Oh no, big shield gone. Everyone die. Try doing things to distract her. Nope, she used reflection. Oh, she wins. Luminati. Oh, we can handle Doctor. Or we can handle the Scarlet Witch. It's you we're worried about. No, no, Scarlet Witch destroy robot kills off Illuminati. They die. Did anybody? Speaking of which, did anybody like stop for a moment and mourn for the loss of all of the lives of those young sorcerers, mm. for the destruction of that place that I can't remember the name of for the third time in this episode? Doesn't matter. It's that one place. Yeah. I was upset when the CG ripped off that building. When um, the CG ripped, blew up that CG building? It meant a lot to me, you know? I was like, oh, the lighting looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to I wanna, I wanna bookend this by pinpointing to a superior action movie. And you might laugh, uh, except for you, James, because I know you have a healthy appreciation of animation. Oh, yeah. The first Kung Fu Panda movie. Ugh. Let's talk about Tai Lung, who's the villain of Kung Fu Panda. Okay, talk to uh, me. Tai Lung is this kung fu guy who went rogue and bad. He's trapped in a prison, a massive prison that only is does its sole purpose is to contain him. That's it. So right off the bat, we have quite the stage set for Tai Lung. We've heard all these good things, but he breaks free. And there's a few slip-ups, like there's a a platform, a wooden platform that was lowered, and he's able to use these small slip-ups to get through these seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Volleys of infinite arrows being lodged at him, massive spears being shot at him. They Guards, try to blow up the bridge. Right. They try everything. They're even willing to destroy their own building to just slow him down or kill him. And he just keeps coming because he's resourceful and he's skilled and he thinks outside the box in ways they didn't. With the Scarlet Witch fight, I was thinking, okay, 
you have a very powerful magic user going up against an army of magic users that vary in skill, and they do nothing with it. Big shield! Cannons! I'm like, wait, there's no way Wong and Doctor Strange are the only skilled master of the mystic arts. Like, there are sorcerers at various levels. Do something creative. Or even the Illuminati. The Illuminati were so much like, oh no, we can handle Scarlet Witch. And you might say, oh, well, it's because they're arrogant. No, if it was, they would have established that they're arrogant. No, they were very confident. They were like, no, we're not worried about her. We're worried about you, Stephen. Why were you not worried about her? Because all your defenses were were a bunch of sentries, and then you thought, oh, we can handle her. Like, we have Ultron. Yeah. We have Black Bull. Oh, never mind. We have Reed Richard. Oh. Captain Car- oh, oh. Nope, she's, she was killed really quick. Captain Rambo Marvel. Oops. Oh, no. A big a big building fell on her and she died. <laughs> <laughs> All that just to say, kind of wrapping up here, uh, I honestly think the MCU, at least for me, is kind of dead at this point. It's the white noise you see on your TV. You might say it's repetitive, but you can also say, at least I know what I'm getting into when I turn it on. We love predictability. I mean, it's just, it's so easy to just lull yourself into not expecting anything from a movie and then being surprised whenever it's like, oh, they made one of the heroes the villains. That's unlike anything Marvel's ever done before. No, they've never done that. No, that's really cool. Civil War. Ant-Man fighting Falcon in his first movie briefly. <laughs> anyway, it was original idea. Just, you know, poorly executed. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, good to see you guys back. Thanks for sticking around and uh, thanks for tuning in again. We're Daniel, James. This has been Casually Critical. And remember, eat the candy wrappers for extra texture. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>